Welcome to the Wellsteading Podcast. This is episode 186. Today is May 25th, 2016. I'm your host, John Pagliano. I'm also the founder money manager at investablewealth.com. Well, this is the long-awaited episode where I discuss my landmine stock strategy. I call it that because I remain concerned that the floor can fall out of this stock market at any given time and the whole thing can blow up. But at the same time, we appear to be in a very tight trading range, and this is not unlike what we saw at about this time last year. If you remember six, eight months ago, I felt that we were in a trading range, but that it had been reduced. And instead of a range up around 2,000, 2,100, I thought that trading range baseline got reduced down to 1,950. Well, we've remained a good five or more percent above that range, but we do continue to be locked in a very narrow channel where that baseline seems to be right around, let's call it 2,000 on the S&P 500. We can get up right around 2,100 on the high end, but we can't get above those all-time highs that were made last you know, May-July time frame in 2015. But no matter what's thrown at this market, whether it's good employment numbers or bad employment numbers, or whether it's that the Federal Reserve will raise interest rates or they won't raise interest rates. We get some vacillation, we get some ups and downs, but really since the end of February, this market has held right around, you know, 2030 or so on the low side, and then it just can't get up above 2100 on the high side. Despite that narrow range of trading though, you've heard me talk many times about the rotations that are going on, and that's what really worries me about this market. Although the indexes appear to be fairly stable, from any given day-to-day -day or week-to-week -week trading, you can see major, very volatile moves in specific industries. You know, one week the banking stocks are up, the next week they crash and oil's up. The following week, oil's down and technology stocks are up. So it appears to be very smooth on the surface, but when you dig down into the numbers, you can see that there's a great deal of fear and a lot of movement going on. What also bothers me about this market is that if you remember back, we had a double bottom that occurred in August and September, and then we had another double bottom that occurred in January and February of, of this year. Well, that February bottom was very steep and was a lower low than any of those previous double bottoms that we'd had. To me, that indicates that there's still a lot of fear and a lot of uncertainty and that large institutional investors are ready to pull out of this market at a second's notice. That's why, as I look at this market, I continue to believe that there's more downside than upside. You know, in any given year, we have, say, a 30% probability of a 20% correction. Well, I think that that probability is higher this year. Obviously, we're seven years into this bull market. At some point, there has to be a correction. When you look at all the volatility that we've had recently, from you know, the flash crash that started last August through this most recent double bottom in February, Things deteriorated in a matter of, you know, just one or two trading sessions. That's not the sign of a stable market. I think this market continues to be juiced not only by our own Federal Reserve pumping $20 billion a month as they uh, renew and roll over the maturing elements, that $4.5 trillion debt that they have on their balance sheet. And then as we see negative interest rates and continued quantitative easing and intervention from all the central banks, from the European Central Union, from the Bank of Japan, from the People's Bank of China, all over the world we see extremely low interest rates and major quantitative easing. 
all that money is finding its way back into the United States because remember, money goes where it's treated best. The U.S. market continues to be the most stable, the most profitable, and has the highest interest rates and dividend yields. So money continues to flock into our assets. That's raising price of our assets in terms of not only stocks, but also real estate. And while that's all a good sign, the concern remains that we have lower corporate earnings being reported. We have an overall stagnation in top-line sales, not only in the United States, but in overall global trade. The United States will be lucky to grow at maybe 2.5% as far as GDP this year. The overall global economy, again, will be lucky to grow 3, 3.3, somewhere in that range. So at any time there is so, some severe bad news or some type of a shock to the system, whether that be a major devaluation of a currency like the Chinese yuan or perhaps a natural disaster like a major earthquake happening in, in Japan or some type of a rumor of war, maybe you know some more Cold War starting up where we have additional aggressions with, uh, with Russia, whatever that shock may be, the floor could easily be pulled out from underneath this market and we could see that 20, 25, 30, 35% correction that has been delayed for so long. Now, all that being said, this market continues to be very resilient and it and remains to be trading in a range above both its 50 and 100 day moving average. Now, you can't argue with the markets. If you remember last year, I took a large overweighted position in the, in the U.S. dollar. I did that through an ETF. My rationale was that I felt that the overall stock market had more of a downside than an upside, which as it turned out, it did. I felt by being in the U.S. dollar that I had a floor on my loss, that I could lose some money in it, but I didn't think it was going to drop you know, 20 or 25%, which could be likely for the U.S. stock market. At the same time, I also knew that the U.S. dollar was not going to appreciate 10 or 20%, that I may only be able to get you know, 3 to 6% out of it. Well, I was happy with that risk-reward ratio. It ended up working out well for me. Right now, I think we're in somewhat of a situation as last year, except that the U.S. dollar has not been stable. If you remember, I had to pull out of it a couple times earlier this year. It looks like it bottomed out and it's going back up, but it remains much more volatile than I would like to see for a reserve currency. So for now, I'm staying out of the U.S. dollar, but I do want to have a position in this market. Because although I feel that there's more downside than upside to this market, the fact remains that the S&P 500 is in a channel and it is in a channel above that 50 and 100 day moving average. It's consistently been there as I go back and I study these charts and I see the highs that were placed in last May through July of 2015 when we were up around 2130. And then I look at these lows where we got down into the low 1800s. There seems to be a great deal of support and strength for this market as long as it can remain above 2050, 2045, somewhere around there on the S&P 500. And even with that, we now have the 100-day moving average right around the 2,000 mark, which is not only a key technical level, but it's also very much uh, of a psychological level because it's a nice round number and the media always hypes that number up. Well, that's where the 100-day moving average is. I think that there's a lot of support for this market there as well. 
and since we're significantly above that level, I felt over these past few weeks that it was appropriate to take a small position in this market so that in case it goes up, I will be able to earn some money as we go into this summer. And then on the other hand, if it should fall apart before I can get out of it, well, I only have about a 30% position in the market, and so I'll prevent myself from having a catastrophic loss. This is what I'm calling my landmine stock strategy. I feel that I'm walking just through a field that has landmines uh, hidden all through it, and at any point I could blow up, but at the same time, I need to get on the other side of that field. I have to take the chance, and so I want to take it in a very protective and cautious manner. That's what I'm doing with you know, approximately a 30% position in this market. And then specifically, I'll review these stocks with you quickly that I purchased. These are stocks that I felt were good buy points at the time I entered them. Most of them, although not all of them, I felt were in an undervalued position. Most of these stocks pay a, a nice dividend. They tend to be more liquid, blue chip stocks, the, the type of things that I like owning. These 10 stocks also are relatively unrelated, and what I mean by that is that they're not all grouped into one particular sector of the economy, so they're asymmetrical from that standpoint. And then finally, the reason I picked these 10 stocks and the reason I'm considering this as a landmine strategy is that should this market blow up and should it drop another you know, 20 or 30% from here, I would most likely not sell these stocks. I would most likely just hold on to them and ride it out because as I go down this list of stocks, you'll see that most of these are big brand name, very stable companies. And although they may have a bad six months or a bad 18 months over the long run, you know, over a buy and hold type mentality, three, four, five years down the road, these stocks will continue to pay their dividends and they will rise up above the value that I purchased them at. So I'm looking at these stocks as more of a, a life preserver type investment where if they go up nicely over the coming weeks or months, I may sell them and take a profit, lock my earnings in cash, and wait for the next downturn, which I'm sure we're likely to get one or two or more of those between now and the November elections. If, on the other hand, everything falls apart, well, I'll just hold on to these. I'll tuck this 30% of my portfolio away, and we'll hold it until times get better. That'll leave me with approximately 70% of my money in cash, and I can take advantage of buying good quality stocks at that time once they've dropped down 10 or 30%, and they're at a very nice discounted price. So that's the landmine strategy. This is something that I think is not only appropriate in today's market, but I'm going to walk you through the, the thought process of why I selected these stocks. And this is an approach that you can apply sometime at a future date when you find yourself in a market that's very much range-bound and has more of a downside than an upside to it. Incidentally, I also do want to say I've been very lax in getting these podcast episodes out. I've been traveling quite a bit, been meeting with my wonderful clients. I've also been spending quite a bit of time studying these markets and involved in you know, business with my firm. So I haven't been able to, uh, to get episodes out. I do want to stress, though, whenever I've made these purchases over the last few weeks, I have updated them on the firm's website at investablewealth.com, and I'll continue to do that. So whenever I make a purchase or a sale, it'll be listed in the blog post under observations and commentary at investablewealth.com. Free of charge, you can sign up for updates to that website, and you'll get an email notification so that you can stay up to date and track my buys and sells and follow those, even though I don't uh, maybe have a regular daily episode with a podcast. 
So let's talk about these 10 positions that I'm in. And these are positions that I hold personally for myself. And then many of them, although not all of them, I have purchased for my clients because of different uh, risk profiles and different uh, situations that my clients may be in. They may own all 10 of these, or they may only own, say, six or seven of these. It all depends on what was appropriate for them at the time. So I want to start off talking about Walmart. If you remember, this is a position that I purchased, I believe, either the end of July, beginning of August of last year. It was really the first of my landmine strategy stocks, although I didn't call it that. If you remember, I purchased it three months too early. I purchased it uh, hoping for a breakout just before earnings when it was right at a resistance level at around $72. Well, I definitely anticipated that. Bad earnings came out and, and it you know fell down for the next three months. However, uh, as I mentioned with this landmine strategy, Walmart is a stock that pays a really good dividend. I don't th think that they're going to go bankrupt anytime soon. They're a very well-managed company. They're the largest private employer in America. They're the largest brick-and-mortar retailer. They have a strong presence with online sales, although obviously they're nothing in comparison to Amazon. You know, the flip side is that the Amazon, although they're a large Internet retailer, they're nothing in comparison to Walmart's brick-and-mortar. So even though there was a steep drop in the price of Walmart, I held on to it. I collected the dividend. Here we are about eight or nine months later. It's pretty much come back to where it was when I purchased it. Uh, I'm still down maybe right around 2%, but the stock continues to behave well. If you remember a week or so ago, Macy's and a lot of the other retailers, particularly the department stores, they announced bad earnings. Uh, Walmart fell kind of in sympathy to them, but once Walmart came out and announced their earnings, the stock recovered. It remains above both, both its 50 and its 100-day moving average. I like what I'm seeing with it. It does have a great deal of resistance to get above $71 a share, but if it can break above that, say, $71 to $73 share range, then I wouldn't be at all surprised to see it get up, uh, you know, well above $75. You know, the previous high on that had gotten all the way up to about $90. Now, I don't know if it'll go that far, but certainly $78, $80 a share is possible if we can see some valuation expansion on this stock. Right now, the Walmart PE is about 15 times earnings. If that can get up to about, say, an 18 times earnings, just simply on expectations alone, simply because investors are willing to pay more for it, and that's what we would call a valuation expansion. You know, nothing really changes fundamentally with the company. People are just willing to pay more for it. Well, if that were to occur and you would say, well, why would that happen? Well, if you look at other blue chip stocks on the Dow Jones Industrial Average, which is where Walmart is, and you look at it from a comparable balance sheet standpoint, an earnings standpoint, if you look at the dividend that it pays, many of the stocks that are in that same category, well, their valuation is 18, 19, maybe as high as 22 times earnings. Well, Walmart is at a 15. So if Walmart can just have valuation expansion up to 18 times earnings, that would put its price somewhere around $85 a share. That also fits nicely with the chart pattern that Walmart is forming right now. So for me, I'm long on Walmart. It's remaining in my portfolio. Okay, so the second stock I own, and this is something that I've added over the last two weeks, and that's Disney. Now, if you remember, I didn't like Disney several months ago because I didn't like its chart pattern. I thought it was too high and I thought it was overvalued. 
that same theme that I'm talking about with Disney right now will be the theme that I talk about with a few other of these stocks that I'm going to mention. I didn't like Disney, say, three months ago when it was trading at, say, you know, 20% higher than it is today, but that's exactly the point. Disney has come down. I think at this point, it's not necessarily oversold, but it's been sold into some weakness. Right now, where it currently sits, it's about 18% off its 52-week high, and at the same time, it's up about 16% from its 52-week low. So it's right in the middle. It's basically retracing its pattern. It lost a lot of ground because there were concern over the cord cutting and the loss of revenue that was being seen with its ESPN side of the business. But Disney is a strong brand provider. It's a content provider. Unlike Netflix or Comcast or something like that, it is an original content producer. Whether it sells its products, you know, its movies through movie theaters or whether its content is purchased through Netflix or, or through a, a cable provider or whether it goes direct and streams to the, to the customers or whether it's, it's toys and games and all the other ancillary products that are spun off and sold as hard products in retail stores or whether it's its theme parks. I mean, Disney has deep-rooted tentacles that aren't going away anytime soon. Of course, it could pull back, you know, down into the, the real lows that we saw in February. That would be another 15, 16% from where it is today. However, I do see it now hovering around its 50-day moving average. I think we're seeing a retracement of the path that it took to higher highs just a few months ago. And I think given for its dividend and the big brand name, you know, Dow Jones Industrial type blue chip stock that it is, in today's environment, the 18 times valuation is, is worthwhile at this point. And so Disney is in my landmine strategy. If things blow up, I'll hold on to it. I'll wait for the dust to settle. Otherwise, I would like over the coming weeks and months to see a pop in this stock. I think it has potential to get back up above its its 200-day uh, moving average, which would put it in that you know 103, 105 dollar range, you know, which puts it at about right now about a five percent higher than it is right now. So I think at a minimum it could get to that level without too much resistance, and then it was just a little less than a year ago that it had gone all the way up to 121. So I don't know if it can break out and go that high, but in this market, I'm not trying to hit home runs. I'm just trying to hit solid base hits. My third stock is Apple. Again, you've heard me talk critically of Apple, um, particularly have been disappointed in Tim Cook's lack of acknowledgement that there were problems in China. This is going back you know, eight months ago. I don't necessarily think those problems have been resolved, but I do think that the price has come down low enough where it's worth taking the chance with Apple. Again, Apple, much like Disney, they have a lot of great products. Their services group is continuing to grow and to become its most profitable unit. Yes, they are one trick pony when it comes to the iPhone, but the iPhone 7 will be coming out later this year. And although technology can always change for right now, the iPhone is still a dominant player in the smartphone business. Customers are willing to pay a premium for it. And so, again, while several months ago I didn't like Apple when it was trading at over, you know, 33, 35 times higher than it was when I bought it, well, now that it's settled down, I do like it. I did purchase it. Uh, as it sits today, it's about 25% off its 52-week high. It's about 11% above its 52-week low. So, again, it's retracing that old position as it moves back up. 
Like Disney, it's currently sitting right around $100. I think it's uh, $99.50 as I record this. Apple has over $200 billion in cash reserves that it's sitting on. With that amount of money, it could go out and make an all-cash deal to buy virtually any company in America, with the exception of the top you know, 12 or 13 largest corporations. But anything smaller than that, they could go out and buy with a cash deal. So there's a lot they can do with that big balance sheet. There's still a lot of creativity left there. It sells at a very, very reasonable P.E. of only 11, and that's not even including all that cash that's on its balance sheet. It is trading below its 50-day moving average, but I think it's recovered and consolidated from the lows that we saw about two weeks ago, and it's well above the lows that were put in when the market hit its lowest point back in um, around February 11th. So I'm looking for Apple to first get up above its 100-day moving average, and then it's 50, then it's 200. I think it's really not going to have any severe resistance until it gets up around 106, which is near that 200-day moving average. From there, we'll wait and see how high it can actually go. There will definitely be resistance getting above 110. But if it can break 110, you know, it's very likely we could see it hit up to 115. I don't know if it'll get to 120, but likely trajectory to 115 is not out of the question if it gets the right wind behind its sails. The fourth stock in my landmine stock strategy is Starbucks. Again, very much like Apple and Disney. I didn't like it, you know, four or five months ago when it was at an all-time high. It's taken a beating and really been getting beat up by some of the restaurants, uh, the failure in the restaurant sector, and particularly all the bad numbers that we saw in the department store retail end of the environment. But Starbucks, again, like Disney, like Apple, it has a very strong brand. It has extremely extraordinary management. I still think it has a lot of excellent growth pro uh, prospects. Its client base is very loyal and um, very a very resilient client and customer. They keep coming back. Every time you go buy one, you always see a line of cars uh, going through the drive-thru. If you're at an airport, you always see a long line of, of people waiting to get their coffee. Unlike other areas of retail or consumer spending, Starbucks is not going to be taking a hit because of you know, cheap products that are offered on Amazon. So people are still going to be driving up or walking up to the counter and putting down their 4 or $5 and, and getting their latte. I won't get into the details of this one. Again, though, I do like it. It's down a little bit from where I purchased it at, at about 1.5%. Uh, but I do think that it has an excellent opportunity to go back and retrace and move back on to some of those highs that we've seen in the not-too-distant past. Now, my next stock is more of an unusual one. You may not be familiar with it. It's not a big blue-chip stock. It's uh, different than some of these other things I've talked about. The name of it is Schweitzer Modui. It's a specialty paper manufacturer. Uh, its primary product is the white paper that it wraps around a cigarette. Oddly enough, its second most popular product is that, that very thin, white, durable paper that is used to print Bibles. So there you have it. You can use that paper to either roll up your cigarette with or to print your scriptures on. It's your choice, kind of like most things in, in the world. Either good or bad, you choose what to do with it. In any case, I like Schweitzer Mudwee because it's a, it's a very stable company. It's a company that pays an excellent dividend. It's taken a hit here because the quarter before last, it uh, didn't do so well, but it did announce good uh, results this past quarter. To me, this is an alternative to owning an overpriced stock like Philip Morris. Because just like Philip Morris, this is a recession-proof company. 
And then just like Philip Morris, it sells into that tobacco type supply chain system. So people are going to continue smoking no matter what. That's what makes it recession proof. Like Philip Morris, it pays a good dividend. Unlike Philip Morris, though, where Philip Morris is trading for a very high valuation, something in the range of, say, 22 times earnings, Schweitzer Modwee is trading for a very, very reasonable 10 times earnings. And with that, you're getting a 4.7% dividend. So at a very low valuation and a very high dividend, I think this one's a keeper for now. My next stock is one that I think I mentioned in the previous uh, podcast. This is an exchange-traded fund that's invested in Switzerland. I'll, I'll just mention here that I wanted to get some European exposure. I, I do like Germany, uh, but I, I think with the migrant problem going on right now, Germany and uh, the associated states there are still going to have some issues. Northern Europe is still subject to fluctuations in the price of oil, so I wanted to stay out of there. Southern Europe, that place just continues to be a you know socialist uh, basket case with very bad demographics and little hope for, for much uh, economic expansion. And so as I looked at Europe and wanting to get some exposure there, I do like the Swiss economy. I think they're insulated from most of the problems that are going to hit the other countries in the, U in the EU if things do fall apart there. So I'm currently long in this Swiss ETF. The, uh, the ticker symbol on this, incidentally, is EWL. That's Echo Whiskey Lima. Similar strategy, and again, I do believe I mentioned this one in the previous podcast. I am in a Vietnamese ETF. Again, for the same reasons, I wanted some exposure to Asia, but I didn't like going directly into China. I still have some concerns about the influence that both China and Japan are going to have in that region and the competitive states of like uh, Southern Korea, Taiwan. I think that they could take a profit hit. Uh, when I look at that area, I did like the Philippines. I also like Vietnam. I ended up going with Vietnam. The ticker symbol on that ETF is VNM. Finally, my eighth stock in my landmine strategy is, again, a smaller company, something you may not be familiar with. Its name is Max Linear. They're a specialty hardware supplier on the uh, broadband side of things. That's a segment of the, of the um, economy that hasn't been doing well. However, I've been watching these guys for some time. Their initial public offering went out around 2010, 2011. They had extremely good earnings this quarter. Um, again, I like everything I'm reading and seeing about them. I think that if they, as a standalone company, they have a great deal of potential to grow. And what I'm really looking forward towards is perhaps this could be uh, an acquisition target for something like a Cisco or a larger company to come in and purchase. So Max Linear, a small company, but I think a company with a bright future. Now, for my ninth position, this is also a company that I think has a bright future, but a lot of uh, ebbs and flows and starts and stops along the way, and that company is Alibaba. Much like Apple and some of these other stocks, I didn't like Alibaba months ago when it was at all-time highs. However, looking at its chart, it does look like it's in a general uptrend. It hit a low back in September. It did fall back down like the general markets, and the low that it had in February unlike the general market, was above its September low. I think that's meaningful. When I purchased it, it was above all the key moving averages. It was getting support on its 50, and it was well above its 100 and 200-day moving average. However, having said that, today there's an announcement that the SEC is investigating Alibaba. 
If you refer back over to investablewealth.com, the day that I purchased Alibaba, I did mention on there that this is a Hong Kong traded stock, um, which basically makes it a Chinese stock. For those of you that are not familiar with it, it is basically China's version of Amazon. And I said at the time that I purchased it that of all the Chinese stocks, I felt that this one had the most reliable bad numbers. I don't put much faith in any of the Chinese stocks. And in general, that's why I avoid them. I think they have some, um, let's call it creative bookkeeping. Well, in any case, it was announced today that Alibaba isn't under investigation. That's never good for a company. However, I will say that the company, although it's down a good uh, 6 or 7% as I record this, it broke through its 50-day moving average. It is maintaining above its 100 and 200-day moving average, which have coalesced right around uh, just a little bit below $74. So I'm going to watch that. I'm going to see if it, can, if it can remain above, say, 74, and then above 70 would be the next level. Again, I do think that even if this falls apart short-term, long-term, this is almost a company that's too big to fail. It has extreme growth in China. I think the fact that they may be doing some shoddy bookkeeping is not going to surprise anybody. And this is a play much like I talked about with Schweitzer Madui versus Philip Morris. Well, this is a play of Alibaba versus Amazon. I think given its growth potential and what it's trading at and its current valuation, that at this point, if I was going to own anything in that sector, I would own Alibaba before I would own Amazon. We'll see how that works out for me over the long run. Finally, the last stock that's in my landmine portfolio strategy is a short of oil, and I'm doing that through an ETF, DNO, that's Delta November Oscar. It's down about 21 basis points from where I bought that, so although oil is down quite a bit today, it, uh, this position had gained over these weeks that I've owned it. Uh, we'll wait and see what happens with that. This is a riskier position, and this is, again, one that I don't have with all my clients. In fact, a very, very small minority of my clients own this particular position. It's a gamble, but I do think that once things get resolved with the Canadian wildfires and then the, pro the militant problems that were happening in Nigeria, I think that keeping the price of oil above you know, $50 a barrel is going to be a hard thing to do. We'll wait and see how that, how that pans out. And this is similar to the play that I made a few months ago with gold. I felt that gold, you know, getting above 1300 was unlikely. I had to close out that position, though, because it broke the key level that I was, I was looking at. I will do the same thing with oil. If I think oil gets out of hand and is starting to break out, I'll sell this position and I'll take the small loss. You never want to get too sure of yourself when you're shorting something. That trade can always go against you. And in the long run, you would expect a commodity, you know, because of inflation and because of supply demand, something like oil and gold over the long, long run, you would expect that to, to go up and not go down. And so that's why you have to be very careful when you short these commodities. Well, there you go. That's my landmine strategy portfolio. I do want to say that I don't have equal weights in all these positions. The largest position I have is in Walmart. That was originally taken with about a 10% position. Uh, some of these others, uh, most of these others, the big name brands, Disney, Apple, Starbucks, I believe I have all 5% positions in those. And then the other ones, more or less right around five, uh, with some exceptions, those things like Alibaba and the oil short, I have much smaller positions in. Alibaba, I'm thinking, is something around a two and a half position, and the oil short is something probably even less than two or right around two. Just to give you an idea of the performance of this landmine portfolio strategy that I've only owned over the last, say, two weeks, 
Max Linear up almost 12%. Apple up over 8%. The Swiss ETF up almost 1.5%. Those are the stocks that are performing well. And then I have about as many that are not doing as good. Uh, let's look at uh, the oil short down oh less than half a percent, maybe 21 basis points. And then Starbucks, Schweitzer Midweed, Disney, all down around, call it 1.7%, somewhere in that range. My Walmart position has improved significantly you know, over the past months, but it's still down about 2% right now. And then finally, the worst performing stock is Alibaba. That occurred, as I mentioned, because today the SEC is investigating them. They're down over 4.5%. So there you have it. I just wanted to share that portfolio with you, let you know my rationale and my thoughts behind it. I'll continue to give you updates, let you know what happens with it. Again, watch over at investablewealth.com. That's where I'll do the most time-sensitive information releases there. And then do check back for the next episode. Probably going to be a little slack over the next week or so, but I promise to get back on track with these episodes. So, hey, until the next time, as always, this is John Pugliano wishing you the very best of returns.